Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 15 through 16. When the Advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are doing, offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Hey, good morning. Good morning, and it's great to see you. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. We are so, so glad you are here. Uh, my wife and I first met through a ministry called Crusade. It's this great interdenominational ministry, and I got to go on a summer project with Crusade, and so uh, the summer before my senior year, I got to spend uh, about 13 weeks living in Alaska. And so I worked in a lumber yard by day. Every weekend we would go and hike glaciers, and then every evening we were doing some kind of ministry in the community. Now, I love Crusade, but crew projects have two rules. Number one is no dating anyone on the project. Great. Uh, Jesse and I were already dating at the time. Number two, no talking about the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts. Uh, now, they, they had this rule, I'm sure, for a reason, because it had caused, you know, some amount of division or, or disunity in projects in the past. Um, but they were essentially saying, we want you to, to study God's word. We want you to be in community. We want you to be full of the presence of God, but, but just don't talk about the Holy Spirit or what he does. Now, fast forward about a decade and a half, and we are, are planting this church, and it's 2018, and right before we uh, formally launched our gatherings. And I get a phone call that, that church planners dream about. It's a denominational leader in town. And he says, we love what you're doing. We've been trying to plant a church like yours. And, and if we could bring your church in, into our group, that would sort of you know, meet this goal, this thing that we've been praying for. And, and what's more is we can give you a building, and monthly support for at least five years, all right? So a building and cash, right? 
but it goes on to say, you know, there's, there's just a few conditions with the way our denomination works. While you're getting funding, there's just a couple rules. You can't drink any alcohol, and you can't pray in tongues. Those are the two things. So in this moment, I'm like, okay, I enjoy an IPA as much as the next fella, but I can, I can give that up, like, no question, not a problem. And the thing is, I actually don't pray in tongues, but I am charismatic. I do believe that that's a valid gift still for today. And so with all of this in mind, I took a deep breath and I said, how nice is the building? <laughs> no, I actually said, no, I, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, for you, for me, it, it just doesn't seem like it's quite the right fit. And it wasn't a great building. We didn't miss out on anything that much. We'd be, we'd be here today anyways. But in both of those, those cases, there is this sense of the Holy Spirit is, is a dangerous person or topic. And if you're getting too much of the Spirit, something's going to go horribly sideways. And I mentioned last week, there's a misunderstanding, I believe, in so much of the church about who the Spirit is, what He does, how we participate in the life that He holds out for us. Because one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does throughout the Scriptures is brings unity to God's people. So this morning, what I want to do, last week we introduced this new series looking at who is the Holy Spirit. This week I want to look at what the Spirit does. It's the title of the sermon, What the Spirit Does. And there are all sorts of roles and purposes that the Holy Spirit fulfills in our lives, in our world that is, that is distinct, that is separate and distinct from the roles of the Father and the Son. So you might be saying, I know, I know God the Father. I know what He does. And I know who Jesus is. I know what He came to do. I know what, what He is now doing from the heavens on our behalf. But do you know, could you, could you answer the question, what does the Holy Spirit do that is, that is distinct from the other members of the Trinity? And why does it matter so much? So I want to show you that the Spirit does a number of things that are absolutely essential for us, just as essential as the work of the Father or the Son in our salvation and in the work of God that has been planned from before all of time. So we're going to look at two big things today, what the Spirit does and then how we can get in on it. And rather than doing just the first point and then just the second point, I'm going to kind of go back and forth. So for each of these six roles of the Spirit, I'll say, here's what the Spirit does, and then here's how we get in on it. And if you're saying, is that just a creative way of having a six-point sermon? No, it's a creative way of having a 12-point sermon. So let me pray for us. I'm going to sit down and we'll, we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are for how you have called us to yourself, for sending your Son. Lord Jesus, thank you for willingly come, coming to earth, taking on humanity, living in a broken world, living a perfect life, dying for our sins, rising in victory, ascending and now mediating for us. And Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to Jesus and to the Father, and that you now dwell within us, ministering to us, ministering through us, showing us what life with God looks like in this place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. 
quick housekeeping note that I meant to mention at the beginning. Uh, as you're coming in this Sunday, you may have noticed we had a police officer out front. You may have not noticed that. We just wanted to let you know we've just been trying to add a little bit more security here as we've grown. Nothing happened. It's not in response to something. We just thought we're over 200 people now. We've got 50 kids back there. Let's put a paddy wagon out front to dissuade the bad guys and uh, you know, put some muscle out there because... Let's be honest, you look at your pastors, you're like, what are you going to do? I challenge you to a bike race, you know, I don't know. So we got some muscle out there. I want to let you know that. The first thing that the Spirit does is he opens our eyes to Jesus. In our passage, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears me speak, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, what Jesus is saying here is really important for us at the, the front end of this series. Because he's saying that the Spirit of God will glorify him. The Spirit of God loves to put the emphasis on Jesus. The Spirit loves to glorify the Son. And in fact, I would say from the New Testament that the Holy Spirit's primary role in our lives is to awaken us to the glory of Christ, to open our eyes to who Jesus really is. Now, if you remember from last week, I, I come from a charismatic tradition, and I think this is a very important word for those in the charismatic tradition. Sometimes even that tradition can, can overemphasize or misemphasize the role of the Spirit and, and perhaps forget that the primary work of the Spirit is to honor and glorify and put the attention on Jesus. The Spirit loves to put the focus on Jesus. And yet at the same time, in sort of the word tradition, the, the word churches that we talked about last week, I think perhaps there can also be a misemphasis where we think that this is the only thing that the Spirit does. In fact, uh, Cam and I were at a conference uh, back in October, and one of the speakers was, was talking, and he was talking about how Christ-centered he wants his church to be, and he says, we don't even sing songs about the Holy Spirit. And then he quoted this verse saying, the Spirit only wants to glorify Jesus. That's his entire role, so we're not going to glorify the Spirit in our songs. We only want to sing about Jesus. And I get where he's coming from. I love the desire to be Christ-centered. I do think he's missing something, though. I didn't, you know, break up the conference or anything. But I think there, there is a misunderstanding there that the primary role of the Spirit is not the only role of the Spirit. And I want you to see all that the Spirit does this morning and how good it is for us so that you can embrace all that the Spirit is, all that He wants to do in and through you. The Spirit glorifies the Son. He loves to. It's His delight. He wants to awaken you to who Jesus truly is. This is also the way that we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. As it says in 2 Peter 1, that he wrote Scripture through the apostles and prophets, and now he illuminates its meaning and its power to us whenever we look at it. And so if we might ask, how do we get in on this? How do we participate in this part of what the Spirit does? I would say focus your attention on Jesus. 
Immerse yourself in the Gospels, the four books of the New Testament that are about the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. I mean, every day, if you can, get in the Gospels. Immerse yourself in Jesus' teachings. Look at his miracles. Look at his healings. Get to know him. As you do so, you'll realize that it's the Holy Spirit that's awaking you to the beauty and the glory and the power of Jesus. Now, I want to look at verse 7 real quick before we go to the second thing. I introduced it last week. Jesus says in our passage, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I introduce this question, how can it be for our good that Jesus goes away? I don't know if you're like me, I would love to still have Jesus on earth. But the more I was thinking about it, and I was talking to, to Joseph about it this week, just trying to imagine what it would be like to still have Jesus on earth. And as he says, if he doesn't go away, then the Spirit cannot come. If you imagine, like I, the way I'm thinking about it right now. So I've been, I've been sick for like 10 weeks. I think I've mentioned that before. It's what I've been affectionately calling a death virus. I don't think that I'm dying, but it's awful. And so for me, I, if I knew where Jesus was, I, I would get there. Like if he's in Galilee, I'm buying flights, I'm spending $1,000, I'm going to Galilee. If Frontier Airlines is available, then for $59, I'm going to Galilee on a 100-year-old airplane, but I will get there. I might not get there. But think about that. How many other people are trying to get to Jesus? I mean, my goodness, in the social media age, you know, paparazzi, people following him around. He's wearing the white robe today, you know, just like getting selfies with him, live tweeting everything he's doing. Jesus says, it's for your good that I go away. Because if I went there, if I met with Jesus and he healed me and I had a profound encounter with him and then I flew home, what, two, three weeks later, I'd be struggling to connect with God. I'd be cold and dry on the inside. I've got huge questions that I'm, I'm longing for wisdom for. And so I go back on FrontierAirlines.com or whatever. It's probably like .co, I don't know. And I'm trying to go back. But instead, what he's saying is you can have my spirit within you. And not just you, all of you. It is better for you to have the Spirit within you than the Son beside you. And the Son wants us all to be so full of the Spirit that it's as if He is among us because He, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus. And so in that sense, the Son is still always among us and within us because the Spirit of the Son is among us and within us. And that is for our good. It might seem controversial, but what we have is better. The Spirit within us is better than the Son beside us. Now, here's the second thing that the Spirit does. The Spirit brings new life. Now, if we go back to John 3, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the, the words that we hear about Jesus, the, the written words in the Bible, and, and opens our eyes to them and transforms our heart to be able to receive him and to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts us of sin so that we can confess our sin, who, who in, invites us, enables us to, to turn to him through faith, to put our faith in Christ so that we might be forgiven and saved. And when we put our faith in Christ, it is the Spirit that applies this salvation to us so that apart from the Spirit, we would not be saved. We would not enter the kingdom apart from the Spirit. And this is a process that Jesus calls the new birth. Regeneration is the theological term for it. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, it's our belief as a church that we can also call this moment of salvation baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you've been wondering, I don't know how many of you have been wondering, what is our, our view on baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, there are two primary views, two really big categories of views on baptism in the Spirit. And they basically align with those Word and Spirit churches that we talked about last week. And the Word churches tend to believe that baptism in the Spirit happens at the moment of conversion and regeneration, that it's part of what it means to be saved. We are filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And this is based on sort of lack of really clear evidence in the New Testament of some kind of second baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the Word view. The Spirit view views baptism in the Spirit as something secondary to salvation, that once we are saved, we can be further baptized in the Holy Spirit, go deeper into the Spirit. And this is based on a reading of the accounts in Acts where someone seemingly believes in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit yet. Now, there are different, uh, you know, subcategories of these two views. That's like an entire, you know, class. I just collapsed into like 45 seconds. But in my belief, both of these traditions have something right and something a little bit off. I think the best way that I've seen it put is from um, a pastor, writer, he's actually a friend and a mentor, Dr. Sam Storms. He has a helpful article called, What is Baptism in the Spirit and When Does It Happen? And here's what he writes. So spirit baptism describes what happens when one becomes a Christian. Therefore, all Christians, by definition, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. However, there are also, you know, it's like, hold on. So that was like the word category, right? But then he says, How, however, and you're like, oh, no, there go our categories. <laughs> however, there are also multiple subsequent experiences of the Spirit's activity. After conversion, the Spirit may yet come with varying degrees of intensity wherein the Christian is overwhelmed or empowered or anointed or in some sense endued. This release of new power, this manifestation of the Spirit's intimate presence is most likely to be identified with what the New Testament calls the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so you can see this position, and it's the one that I hold and our, our pastoral team holds. It's sort of a, a, a word view with a little spirit twist, you know, it's, it's the word perspective, and it's, it's got a little bit of juice in it, right? So baptism in the Holy Spirit, we believe, happens at the, the moment of conversion. You don't need to seek some big second, secondary experience, and that's not the way that we get spiritual gifts, in our opinion. You can have all of the spiritual gifts from the moment of salvation, and you can continue to seek more of the Spirit's presence in your life. Fresh encounters, fresh infillings, fresh uh, release of his power, awareness of his power within us. 
And so that's our little uh, aside on baptism in the Spirit. The question is, how do we get in on this? If the Spirit brings new life, how do we get in on this? And the first thing is actually, if you are not a Christian, if you are still exploring Christianity and trying to figure out what you believe, we would compel you with the words of Jesus, come to me. Come to me, receive my life. Take on my teaching, take on my life. I can lift all of your burdens from you. Or as it says in Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, how do we get in on this? You have been born again, you have the Spirit of God, and there's still a call for you. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes to the church, who he has just said already has the Holy Spirit, and he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what Storms was talking about with the fillings of the Spirit. Don't be content to just have the, the minimal amount of God's presence in your life, but seek to be filled to the brim, to be overflowing with the very presence and power of God in your life. The Spirit brings life. But not only that, he, he doesn't just change us and leave us. Here's the third thing. The Spirit fills us with His presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence within us. Last week, I gave you a really long definition of the Holy Spirit from our, our, our confessional statement, and it was money. You remember that? Here's a, here's a very, very short definition of the Holy Spirit. He is God's empowering presence. And He is God's empowering presence within us. He's always been God's empowering presence, even before mankind was created. But for us, our experience of Him is God's empowering presence. I get this phrase from a book by a biblical scholar named Gordon Fee. It's a 900-page book, and it's called God's Empowering Presence. And so if your community group leader asks you this week, how would you describe the Holy Spirit? God's empowering presence. That's one answer you could give. Now, how do we know this? 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This week, I went through each of the New Testament references to the spirit from Acts through Revelation. It's maybe two or three hundred of them, and there's so many different terms that are used around this, being filled with the spirit the Spirit coming on us, receiving the Spirit. The Spirit is poured out. We're anointed with the Spirit. We receive the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. There are all these, these phrases that get used for the Spirit's indwelling presence within us. Sometimes it's not clear when the Spirit comes. Is it the moment of conversion? Is that what the anointing or the indwelling is? We don't always know, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter. The call is that we would be open to and would seek the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, always. And so how do we get in on this? I want to say tend the fire, tend the fire of God's presence. Remember in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit descends, it's like fire over all of the believers that were present. And that fire is on us from the moment of salvation, but it's something that needs to be, to be tended, to be cultivated. It never goes fully out. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. I don't know about you, but I, I experience a, a coldness often. 
And it's not that the Spirit is leaving me, it's but that, that I'm not as, as aware of His presence and I've not been, been focused on Him in the same way. I don't know if you ever feel this, that you sometimes just struggle when you, when you open God's Word. A prayer is just so, so difficult. One day I can be like on fire for the Lord. I feel a burning passion for God. I can memorize the Word. I just want just to tell somebody about God. And then the next day, or five minutes later, I'm just struggling to read anything, struggling to, to pray at all. And so what do you do in those moments? How do, you, how do you tend the fire that's been given to you? And I would just say, express that desire to God. Just tell Him where you are. Tell Him what you're feeling. Tell Him what you want. Even if you don't really want more of God's presence, like in that moment, just tell Him you want to want more of God's presence. Wherever you are, just express that to the Lord. He can handle it. He's not surprised by it. He invites us to come as His children. Just say, Lord, help me. Help me to throw a few more logs on the fire. Help me to, to cultivate this burning heart for the Lord that I want, maybe I've had before. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because the fire untended, it, it, it can grow colder with time. It's just human nature. So we tend the fire, we cultivate the hunger, we continue to press in to the things of God. Now, number four, the Spirit makes us like Christ. We had a membership class yesterday. I think we had 40 to 45 people in the class. It was, was wild. The biggest class we'd had previously, I think, was 20 people. The class yesterday was bigger than the group that actually started the church just a few years ago. But we spent our, our day, 9 to 2, working through the Scriptures, asking how we can build our lives around the way of Jesus. And build our church around the way of Jesus. In the class, we say that the goal of our lives is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to become like Him in every way. And we believe we most glorify God when we most reflect Jesus. And what the scriptures say is that how this happens is by the Spirit. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, I love this verse. Paul writes, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the Spirit is the one who transforms us progressively more and more into the image of Jesus. It's a process. Typically a long, slow, non-linear process. There's fits and stops, peaks and valleys. But the Spirit loves to make us more like Christ. So how do we get in on this? What I want to emphasize is to, to share in Christ's life by sharing in His suffering. Romans 8 says it like this, we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, this is talking about sharing Christ's persecution, his mistreatment, but it also includes just living in a broken world, trying to hold on to your faith in the midst of a difficult and broken world. And the troubles that we face in life are all part of us being able to learn what it's like to, to live like Christ in a broken world. We share in the sufferings of Christ here, and we share in the glory of Christ later. 
I was talking to my counselor a couple weeks ago, and I was just whining honestly about my health and how I've been sick, and I just want to feel better. And the frustrating thing is I just had to drop this, this seminary class. It was part of my doctoral program. And uh, he's listening to me, and he, and he says, uh, what, what's that program again? What is it that you're studying? I said, well, I'm, I'm getting a, a doctor of ministry and spiritual formation. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's fine, buddy. You see a lot of people. It's okay. You forgot. You know, I'm like, what? You know. So I'm like, but it's spiritual formation. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, you know, it's, it's how we grow more and more into the image of Christ by modeling our life after his and by experiencing what he experienced. I didn't realize he was about to Jesus juke me. <laughs> He's like, so you're telling me that you're having to share in the sufferings of Christ personally in a deep way instead of just learning about it and reading about it. I was like, darn you. <laughs> Usually I can tell when I'm about to get Jesus juked, but he, he broke my ankles. He, I mean, he had time to step back and like shimmy before he hit the J. It was, he got me good. It's like, man, I didn't want this class. I don't want to have to actually suffer in, in ways that Jesus suffered. I, I didn't want to actually have to share in that part of his life. I just wanted the good stuff. And then I wanted a syllabus and I wanted to read and maybe write a paper or something like that, but like not actually go through the hard stuff. I don't know if you've felt that before, but it's in the valleys It's in the wilderness. It's in the hard places of life. It's in the sickness, not the good health, that the Spirit conforms us into the image of Jesus. He loves to do it. It's one of His roles. He loves to make you more like Jesus, and He often uses the hardship and the suffering of life to get you there. Here's the fifth thing. We're we're almost at the end. There's two more. This one is uh, penultimate, number five. The Spirit empowers us for ministry together. It says in 1 Peter 2, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so it is a work of the Holy Spirit of God to draw you out of an individualistic life and to draw you into community, to bring you into the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holy Spirit takes individuals and makes us family, unites us together. As we are united to Christ, we are also in union with one another. You remember the the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament? It It was the place of God's presence. God's presence was localized in the temple. And so if you wanted to go to the presence of God, you would go to the temple. And so what does that look like for us now? Where is the presence of God localized? Among us. Here. Not just here on Sunday mornings or here in a church building, but among us, within us. We are the temple of God. The Spirit draws us together. And then once we are together, He gives us gifts to empower us to ministry together. And so 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We're going to look at spiritual gifts in detail in the second half of this series, but I want you to just notice two things here, that the Spirit distributes gifts. It's the Holy Spirit that that gives good gifts to the church, and the good gifts to the church are how we serve and love one another. But the second thing is actually the same phrase. I'm just going to 
put the emphasis in a different place, the Spirit distributes gifts. He gives these good, good gifts to the church to build it up for the common good, for the edification and the holiness of the family of God. So he loves to pour out these gifts and he loves to build up the church through this. And so how do we get in on this? How do we get in on this role and function of the Spirit? I want to say live in a way that requires his presence. Live in a way that actually requires his presence. Jesus says in our passage, when the advocate comes whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So everything that Jesus did, he's now calling his followers, his disciples to do. And yet sometimes our lives can get so comfortable, so safe, so insulated from the struggles of others. We may not not feel dangerously wealthy or comfortable, but many of us are. We might have to put ourselves in a place that requires more of His presence. Many of you are are already there by life circumstances. You need the Lord just to get through. Others of you may need to make changes in your life so that you're in a place that you actually really need the presence of God. And that is such a good, important place to be. It's why we sing, Lord, I need you. We need to need Him. Could you do a day or two or three without the Spirit's power? Cam said yesterday, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. It's a quote from John Wimber, but he said it, so I'll give it to him. (laughs) Faith is spelled risk. If you want more of God's presence, then live in such a way that requires it. You don't want a life that doesn't require the Spirit of God. You want to live in such a way, Christ-like enough, that you are desperately clinging to God's presence in your life. Here's the last thing, number six. The Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. The Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. This comes directly from Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We spent all that time in Galatians back in the fall, four or five months. My favorite verse was uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's by the Holy Spirit that we cry out for God, that we cry out, Father, Abba just means daddy. It's by the Spirit that we cry out in an intimate, personal, desperate way, Father, I need you. The Holy Spirit is how we experience and receive God's love. We've said before that the one who doesn't know God's love, who doesn't live in God's love, will have to find a different place to live from. If God's love is not the center of their being, they'll have to put something else in the center. They'll have to find their own identity to establish and protect and and maintain and, and display to the world. 
Apart from having God's love at the center of our lives, we're constantly going to be insecure, defensive, easily hurt. We'll always be in a hurry because we're trying to prove ourselves. We'll be distracted. Suffering will make us bitter. All because we don't have the love of the Father at the center of our lives. But if we can get the love of God in our hearts, if we can actually make it the center of our lives, a person like that becomes radically secure. They're never in a hurry. They have absolutely nothing to prove. Their lives are marked by close, intimate relationships. They're full of grace, gentleness, generosity. They're able to give their lives away because they're genuinely other-centered. And when suffering comes, they see it as a pathway to growth. And so the question is, how do we get this in us? How do we participate with the Spirit in getting the love of the Father in our hearts? I love Ephesians 3 on this. Paul prays for us, I pray that out of His glorious riches, God would strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being, and that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what the Spirit wants to do in you, to prepare your inner being to grasp the love of the Father. Tim Keller says of this verse that Paul is praying for a spiritual inner sensitivity to God in the gospel. A spiritual inner sensitivity. I think that's just Presbyterian for a lot of the Holy Spirit. Awaken us, Holy Spirit, to the love of the Father, to the love of Christ. And we have a role in this. Paul is praying that we would grasp the love of Christ. And as I've said before, that word grasp, it's, it's a hard Greek word to translate it. It often gets translated wrestle or attack or like pin somebody down. It's a very aggressive verb. And so what is it that we are trying to grasp or grapple with or, or wrestle? It's, it's our own hearts. We're, we're grasping to get the love of the Father into our own hearts, to get the love of Jesus into our hearts. It is a hard but important, essential thing to do. May we wrestle into our hearts with great effort the love of God. This is what the Spirit wants for you. The Spirit wants you to know and experience and live from the grace and love of the Father. And so will you let Him? Will you, will you let Him in? Will you embrace all that the Spirit is, all that He wants to do in you and through you? This is why I have a hard time if, if people, pastors especially, say you, you don't want too much of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to get too carried away with the Holy Spirit, you know? We want the Holy Spirit with a seatbelt or whatever. Like, but look at what the Spirit does. Look at how He puts the attention on Jesus. Look at how He fills our hearts. Look at how He longs to make us more like Christ. Look at how He empowers us for unity and service together. Look at how He impresses the love of God on our hearts. Why would we not want the fullness of that? Why, why would we have a, a, a seatbelt on? Take the seatbelt off if, if that's where you're at you're at. Embrace the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, because this is what He does. If there was like a bumper sticker for this, it'd be like, normalize the Holy Spirit. 
embrace the Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to sing a song called Fall Afresh that I've just been, been loving lately. Part of it goes like this. Awaken my soul, come awake to hunger, to seek, to thirst. Awaken first love, come awake and do as you did at first. Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. Come wake me from my sleep. And this is my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for my own heart. It's my prayer for my sweet wife and my wild boys. It's my prayer for each and every one of you that we would continually be awakened by the Holy Spirit to the majesty, to the glory of God. That we would be awakened, that our first love would return to us. That we would be open in our eyes to the beauty, to the love of God. And I'll say it again, we have a role to play here. Immerse yourself in the scriptures, tend the fire, follow Jesus in suffering, live in a way that requires his presence. But this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. He has such, such good things for us. Let's embrace him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for what you long to do in our midst, for your unique role in the grand story of redemption that you and the Father and the Son have been writing for all time. The Spirit of God, we say, fall afresh on us. We need you, Lord. We don't want lives that can be done apart from you. We don't want a church that can be done apart from you. Spirit of God, give us more of yourself. And we know that that will only make us more Christ-like. It will only make us more mature, more full of the fruit of the Spirit. So Lord God, Father, Son, and Spirit, would you do this in our midst? Would you do this in our church, we pray. Amen.